All right, we are in Genesis 24 today. We have two sermons left with Abraham's life. This one is 67 verses. <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried to preach on 67 verses. But the good news for y'all is I'm only going to focus on eight or nine of them. But we will read the entire story together because it is certainly a story worth reading. If we're going to understand what it is that God's saying to us today, it's on page 19 if you're thumbing through a blue Bible. I want to share with you one story from history before we read this. In the 1500s, there was a rise in the number of universities and formal education in Europe. And in some of these universities, some very influential, scholarly, and powerful people were reasoning together. And they were doing it without the Word of God. They were doing it by using their God-given mind, which is good, but neglecting the God-given revelation that he has given to us in his word. And here's what they came up with. They could reason and see in nature and in science, they could see, of course there's a God, and of course he created us. No doubt about that. We know that that's true. That's obvious. That's clear. We're on board with that. But they continued to reason amongst themselves, and they said that, Part of the creation was that God put natural law, which in many ways I have absolutely no problem with and can be on board with that in many ways. But he put order within his universe. You know, the sun comes up every 24 hours, right? Things like that, okay? Animals reproduce. Plants make seeds. This is God's order. And there was truth in that order or that natural law. But where they went majorly wrong was they said after he put all this into place he stepped back and he no longer participates in the affairs of the world it's all left up to us or to something else fate or chance or luck or something they didn't get specific so they made a major error They went very, very wrong. I was at Thomas Jefferson's home about four years ago, celebrating our ninth anniversary. We had the the premiere tour of his estate. It was awesome. It was like half the day, probably. It was incredible. We loved it. And in the gift shop, they had a copy of Mark's Gospel. We just spent about 14 or 15 months going through Mark's Gospel um, last year. Well, they, they... you know, if God's not involved in the world, according to Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson adopted these beliefs and these thoughts. If God's not involved in the world and we're only going by natural law, then the miracles of Jesus could not have happened. And while we like Jesus and while he was a great teacher and he did some good things and we should try to be like Jesus because he was such a wonderful teacher and such a great guy and maybe even possibly a prophet, we're just going to cancel out all the miracles. And he did die, of course, like every other human, but he certainly didn't rise from the dead because that would have been miraculous. And God's not involved in the world today because he made everything and he's just up there watching to see what we're going to do. 
And that's where Thomas Jefferson, an amazing man who penned the Independence or, or the Declaration of Independence, he gave us one of the greatest documents written in human history. That's what he believed. That is where he landed. Our story today shows us that God is incredibly involved in the daily affairs of our life. Today we will focus on something that is commonly known as the providence of God. Everyone say that with me. Providence of God. It's kind of like the word trinity. You don't see that word, you know, in any one spot in scripture. But you see the idea. You see the truth of it everywhere you look. And so today we are going to look at how God worked to fulfill his purposes. We are going to look to see how God loved his people. We're going to look to see how God gave his people success as they were living their life. So Psalm, I mean, I'm sorry, Genesis 24. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Um, I'll give you a little bit more time when you read personally than I usually do. Um, If you don't want to try to read the whole chapter personally, that's totally fine. Pick part of it you're interested in and read that. And that's totally cool because this is a very long chapter of which I'm very grateful for. So uh, here, I'll begin. So uh, Genesis 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love To my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden 
whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel. And a shekel is two-fifths of an ounce. We were discussing that last week. I'll tell you more later. Thanks for asking. And two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. And said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who, was not, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he is given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord... Before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink. 
And I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you were going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank. And they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading, the discussion, and the preaching of it. Uh, Take some time, read it to yourself, and we'll talk in just a bit. Today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Okay, this servant is a senior servant. He's got loads of common sense. He's a good manager. He knows how to do things well. He knows how to pick people. He knows how to make decisions, okay? He had a lot of responsibility. And the way the servant approached this would bring Isaac, a hardworking and hospitable woman, with a servant's heart. 
So after he prays this, he sees Rebecca. He says, hey, can I have a drink? And she said, yeah. And then she said, can I get some for your camels too? So this is going pretty good, right? But I love verse 21. Look at, look at what he does in verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. He, he, there's this moment, a few moments, not sure how long it is, but he waited for confirmation from the Lord. The lady had done what he had put before the Lord in prayer, and he gazed at her in silence. Is this the one, Lord? I think it's the one, Lord. Is this the Lord? If it's not, is this the one, Lord? If it's not the one, Lord, then, then let me know right now. Because I'm going to move forward. Because I think it's the one. And there, there's this silence. Like, like, that's just what I think he was going on and said. Okay? Like, like, you know, that's what I would be thinking at the very least. But he didn't speak. But he waited in silence. I believe he was waiting on the Lord. We get to verse 26, and he prays, he bows his head, he worships the Lord. And this is what he says in verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. He is worshiping the Lord, y'all. And just... I think everyone knows this, but we are to do that when things are going great and when we're successful and we're to do that when everything's falling apart and we feel like we're in the bottom. But this is one of those successful, like, man, this is going great kind of moments, you know? And he's like, God, you're awesome. You're awesome. He praises God because, as it says in verse 27, God is continuing to be faithful to Abraham. He knows something we forget sometimes, and that is that the Lord is not changing. He is immutable. He, he, he keeps going. It's Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always good. And if you belong to Him, He's not letting go. He's not going to say, oops, I made a mistake by saving Him. Oh, she's gone. I'm sick of her. No, He doesn't do that. His faithfulness to His people does not change. And He is praising God in verse 27 that God is continuing to be faithful to Abraham. And then in verse 27, he makes reference to himself. He's halfway through 27. He says, as for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my father's kinsman. God is good to Abraham and God's good to me is what he's saying. He is celebrating and rejoicing in God's faithfulness to his own purposes and in God's goodness. To his people. Did y'all know that God's faithfulness to his own purpose, that his zeal and his passion and his desire to be worshipped by every tongue, tribe, and nation goes right in line with our good? Isn't that incredible? That what the Lord wants for himself is the best possible thing for us. Love that. So verses 29 through 48 is a huge section of this chapter. Rebecca's family welcomes the servant in their home and the servant shares with everybody what has happened up to this point. 
And in verse 49, he, he, he goes straight for it. They just gave him dinner. Have some dinner. He says, wait, before we have dinner. He says, if you are going, verse 49, he said, now then, if you, wait, no, I'm, I'm wrong about that. That was, that was earlier. Verse 49, he's retelling stories. So there's kind of two versions of the same story. And I got the second and the first confused. After he tells them everything that happens, he calls the family to a decision. Verse 49, now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. I want to know. I think this is going pretty good, but, it, but you have to say yes. See, it's interesting here. He knows the Lord is the one who has to give success. And, and I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses in just a few minutes that says that God is planning everything. But this servant recognizes that Laban and Bethuel, her, brother, well, her father and brother, the family, they have to agree to this. Just because God is fulfilling His purpose, that doesn't deny our decisions and our actions and the importance of those decisions and those actions and the role of them in fulfilling God's purpose. She has to, they, they have to agree. If not, he has to look for someone else or go home empty-handed. But God is fulfilling His purposes. And within that, there is this mysterious and perfect cooperation and working With our decisions. And our decisions are so important, y'all. What you decide each day is so important. And your decisions work together perfectly with the overall sovereignty and providence of God. So verse 49, he knows they have a part. He's calling them. Let me do it, please. Verse 50, they respond. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. The the family, you know, we we don't know about all their religious practices as was brought up earlier. But what we do know is that in this moment, they're like, yeah, God's on board with this. It starts out in verse 50. The thing has come from the Lord. They recognized it as the plan of God. And then there at the end of verse 51, as the Lord has spoken. Now, we have seen God speak to Abraham in really special and fantastic ways. I mean, he's showing up. like He's putting Abraham in deep sleep. He's giving him visions. He's speaking things. He tells Abraham to go outside and look in the sky. I mean, we've seen all these really obvious and, and, and intense ways that God speaks. I, I don't know about that personally. But this, I can identify with a bit more. This, they, they, they had this clarity. Like, okay, all of this lines up. Yeah, we think God's doing this. Yeah, we are on board with this. And I bring that up to say that God speaks to different people different ways. And it's easy for us, and I know that some of us in here have done this, we, 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 we think, well, God doesn't talk to me or interact with me like he does with so-and-so sitting across the room. But I tell you, okay, that, that that's okay. 
that's okay. We have different spiritual gifts. Those gifts are involved in communicating with God. Some of us, we've been taught different things. And some of the things we've taught make it harder for us to hear God if we've been taught incorrectly. And some of us, we have been taught more accurately and our understanding of how to hear the voice of God is a little bit better and more mature than some others. And we're all different and that's why we need each other in this place. But you know what? Don't compare yourself to someone else. If I had to say God had to talk to me like he talked to Abraham in order for me to know that he loves me, I'd be way off, wouldn't I? I'd I'd be hopeless. I'd be up the creek. I certainly wouldn't be your pastor. God spoke in some way to them, and they were convinced that it was the Lord. So they prepare to return. They prepare the return. We've already said that they wanted to go uh, or that they wanted 10 days. And the servant's like, no, let's do it now. And they're like, "Okay, well, if Rebecca's okay with that. And she said, yep, I'll do it. So they're packing up that day. I mean, I think the servant was there less than 24 hours. That's very likely based on what we have written for us here. Then we get to verse 60. And as was pointed out, the, the blessing in verse 60 lines up almost word for word what had previously been spoken in Genesis 22, verse 17. But in chapter 24, verse 60, they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Her family not only recognizes what God had done up to that point, but they recognize what God is doing in the years and the generations and the centuries that are ahead. That blessing lines up with God. I've told you all before that, you know, when we speak a blessing that lines up with the scripture, it is to be received by faith because it's true. And there's this danger, there's this hesitancy to participate in blessing one another. Because what if you're, you you know, are you decreeing the future? Are you saying the future? Are you like playing God? And and, And we say, absolutely not. No, that is not what we're doing. But our blessings arise from the will of God as it is revealed in the scripture. And here, they know what it is that God wants to do. They have some type of very specific and incredible revelation from the Lord that, that, I mean, maybe that was given previously, long before. Maybe it was given to them when the servant showed up. I don't know. But they spoke the truth of the blessing and it lined up, lined up with everything that God had revealed. And as they did that, they built Rebecca's faith. They built the servant's faith because that's what happens when you bless people. So the servant takes, or back to, 2217. It's almost word for word. I'll read verse 17 and y'all look at verse 60 in your Bibles. It's almost word for word. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. So they leave. Rebecca's nurse comes with her. She'd been with her the whole lot, her whole life. They get back to their land a few weeks later, and Isaac and Rebekah are married. In God's perfect involvement with human affairs, he gives the servant success. I want to kind of step back and look at some big picture stuff here. I want to look at how Abraham 
how Abraham's servant, how Rebecca and her family made decisions. And these are things for us to incorporate into our lives every single day as the Lord would bring things to us. They all understood God's bigger plan and purpose. Some of us, you know, and I'm going to speak generally just of of, of people in the world, not necessarily us here today, but people in our world, they want to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. But when they don't know the great goal of history, that God would be worshipped and adored above all other gods, when, when they don't understand that, there's no way that they can orient their life around that which is true and that which is ultimate. Consider this. Some of you are voracious readers. I mean, you, you can go in and you can read a 300-page book in a week, and I envy you for that a, a bit. Imagine an author trying to write chapter 22 of a 45-chapter book but he doesn't have any idea what happens in the previous chapters or later. How does that work? But many people are living their life that way because they don't understand the bigger plans and purposes of God. Let me ask you, do you know what it is that the Lord is doing? Do you know his ultimate goals in history? This big chunk of scripture we've covered this year in Genesis is one of the primary places in the Bible where we see that. And what we see is that his purpose is to bless the nation's with Jesus Christ, his son. And to bring, and later on, this is developed much further in other places of the Bible, and to bring restoration to this broken world that we live in. So they understood God's big purpose and his plan. Also, I want to point out the servant. We all have different roles in life. This servant, he was submissive to his master. There are structures of authority within our world I've talked about this before. I talk about it often because I think it's easy to forget. And I think our culture is trying to to say that all authority is evil. And it's certainly not. Some people in authority are evil, but authority itself is not. But this servant, he was faithful to his responsibilities. He was submitted. My pastor in Tampa, he said many years ago, to submit is to sub and mission. You come under someone else's mission. Like a submarine goes underwater where you've got sub for submit. And then their mission, like you're coming under their mission. The servant was serving the purposes of Abraham. Also, how did they have success? How did they make decisions? Nowhere in here does it tell us that the servant waited for every single little detail. It is tempting to do that. We, we have something in mind that we think the Lord would have us do. And we can, some of us have the opposite problem, but we can be paralyzed in the moment. God, how do I get from point A to point B, knowing that there's going to be a few rest stops on the way and we have to, you know, there might be a detour and all this stuff. You know, it's like being on a long journey. You get to a detour. You've got to go this way or that way. Which way do we go? You know, there's all these little decisions. But we see the servant moving forward. We see the servant not wasting any time. Now, like I said, you can go to the opposite extreme and go too fast. But this servant knew the big picture of what he was called to do. And he went forward. And he was faithful in it. He was not paralyzed by indecision. Now, 
for us today, I believe that people who don't have a strong faith in God have a really hard time making decisions and moving forward in life because they don't understand how God is involved in our world. And, and us as people who are being sanctified, we still struggle with some of those things. There is, there is a temptation for Christians to think, you know, well, things haven't gone too well for me. I was talking to a brother this week, lives in the county, doesn't go to this church. I was talking to a brother this week. You know, he, he's kind of struggling with the love of God. He wants to see it more, but he, he's just, he, he sees the sin. And he's kind of struggling, like, why, would, would God do A or B or C for me? Why, why would God have this involvement in my life? His understanding of the providence of God is, is on an elementary level. You know, we, we doubt that God in His goodness would work in our lives to fulfill His plan and that He would be present with us as we go forward. Sometimes you see a case that's more extreme. Well, you know, what would fate have? Or we think about chance. And, and we, we just, we think it's up to something that we can't control that will have absolutely nothing to do with us. There's no such thing as faith. There's no such thing as luck. Throw your horoscopes out the window. They aren't biblical. They don't work. They're demonic. We don't look to those things to be our guide. But we recognize that God is involved in our decisions. And He has a plan. And He wants to lead us and He wants to guide us. But we have to trust Him. There is no such thing as fate or luck or chance or other gods out there who will overrule the purposes of God. The stars don't tell you what to do. They don't speak truth. The, 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 some of the other silly things that we do, they don't determine reality. But God, in Proverbs 16.33, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way. By all means, go and plan. But we must do our planning knowing that the Lord establishes our steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Again, go and plan, recognizing it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I had, I had plans Friday and yesterday that totally fell through because of the weather. God, that's cool with me. You know, that's, that's totally fine. Psalms 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And I could read to you several more, several dozen more verses just like this. So these verses, while they stress the priority and the supremacy of God's purposes, this doesn't mean, as I said earlier, that our human actions don't mean anything. Let's think back through the story. The servant served his master well. The servant recognized God's faithfulness and leadership. Rebecca and her family recognized God's leadership. And when they recognized it, and this is what happens. This happens to us sometimes. When they recognized the leadership of God, everything changed for them in a short moment of time. You find out you're having a kid in a moment. 
You know, you're pregnant, your wife's pregnant, whatever, right? Everything changes in a moment, right? That's how things work in this world. As the plans of God develop, as they come to us, everything changes. What if he wants to come and change something major in your life? He did that for us in May of 2013. Within less than two weeks' time, we were moving to North Carolina to be the pastor of the church I went to in high school. Oh, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I'm so happy he did. Amen. I'm so happy he did. It's been wonderful. With all that's been said so far, I have to say that I still haven't talked about probably the, at least one of the biggest things in this passage. It's mentioned several times. It didn't come up in the discussion. I haven't mentioned it in the sermon. But that is the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love of God. I was talking about fate and chance and horoscopes earlier. Those things are impersonal. Many people think that, you know, when they talk about fate, well, everything's been ordained. Everything's already been determined. And so it's like, why do I even bother doing anything? And so their life is just fused with meaninglessness and frustration. Why do I even do it if my actions don't really matter? So they think that things are determined, but it's impersonal. There's no relationship with whatever has determined the purposes for them in that world. We just read that all the plans of the Lord will stand. Here's the difference between us and those who would take fate or chance or luck seriously. It's personal. Does not the one who makes the plans that stand have a personal relationship with his people? Does he not have great care and love? Look at verse 12, chapter 24, verse 12. The servant recognizes the steadfast love of God. This is his prayer before Rebecca came out. Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Verse 14, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant. By this I shall know you have shown steadfast love to my master. The servant was saying, because of your steadfast love for your people, give us success. Yeah, I was praying earlier before I began to preach. I'm saying, because of your incredible love for people in this community, give us success in our evangelism. Let's see it happen, God, because of your great love. This word in the Hebrew is pronounced kesed. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's most commonly translated steadfast love. But it describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior toward Another person. It's not just sentimental in nature. No, it's a love that drives people to action. So, you know, the servant mentioned the steadfast love of God in verse 12 and 14. Well, when he prays after he realizes that Rebecca is the one, in verse 26 and 27, he mentions the steadfast love of God again. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And blessed be my master Abraham's God, 
because he has not forsaken his steadfast love. Has the steadfast love of God displayed in the gospel been upon you? Or has it come upon you? Have you seen it? Do you know it? Have you experienced it? He's faithful to it. He's not going to change. All his purposes will be fulfilled. Go read Romans 8, if you want to look into that more. Beginning in verse 28 to the end of the chapter. The steadfast, loving purposes of God will be fulfilled. And where is that most generously and powerfully displayed? It's displayed in the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his only son. His body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. God was involved in the world making this happen through the decisions of godly and ungodly people. This was his plan. And he did this out of his steadfast love for us, church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your plan. We thank you for your word as it has revealed to us your will. You are holy, mighty, awesome God. You are a holy and mighty and awesome God who provides for your creation, who orders things according to your will, and who works out all these things through your steadfast love to the good of your people. Thank you, God, for being near to us and not leaving us to our own devices. Thank you, God, for showing the way, for providing the path, And for living it yourself in the gospel, in the incarnation more specifically, God. Thank you for sending Jesus, your son. Thank you for his presence with us. And thank you for his return, which is yet to come.